Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. This morning we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew as Jesus teaches the crowd about the nature of God's kingdom whether in his rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees or a discussion about real family relationships, Christ has taken every possible opportunity to help the lost sheep of Israel understand what it takes to be counted among the redeemed. And yet, for all of his attempts, Jesus knows that not all who had gathered around him heard the truth that was being proclaimed. And an even smaller number yet received it because very few hearts contain the good and fertile soil of faith. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13 and follow along as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive, for the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they've closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. 
This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, if you have spent any amount of time in or around the church, you are likely familiar with many of Jesus' parables. As this is the first parable of significance recorded by Matthew, it would serve us well to understand Christ's reason for using them. But come to think of it, his disciples were wondering that very same thing. Immediately after Jesus speaks about the sower, the seed, and the soils, they came to him and said in verse 10, Why do you speak to them in parables? Well, to put it simply, parables are practical stories that illustrate spiritual truths. So a story about a father and his son might convey something about God's relationship to his children. Talk about the workers in a vineyard teaches us about the Israelites' place in the kingdom. The growth of a mustard seed demonstrates the expansion of the gospel's influence. Yet despite their fundamental simplicity, not everyone finds these stories so easy to comprehend. No, it would seem from Christ's response in verse 11 that his parables kept certain truths veiled from the unbeliever's In their midst. In response to their question about speaking in parables, Jesus said to his disciples, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has uh, wisdom, understanding, enlightenment, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have these abilities do discern, Even what he has will be taken away from him. That's why I speak to them in parables, he said. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Christ's teaching in parables was a tremendous blessing to those whose eyes and ears were opened to the truth. Because those stories greatly simplified much more complex spiritual realities. And yet, for those who did not believe, for those whose eyes were blinded and ears deafened by their continual rejection of Christ, the parables would serve as a judgment of sorts. Because those outside the faith would never come to understand their full meaning at all. Isn't that what the prophet Isaiah was talking about? as quoted in verses 14 and 15 of our text. 
to those determined to live outside the faith, he says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You'll keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes. They would hear with their ears. They would understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Such was the case for the scribes and Pharisees who refused Christ's teaching. And so it is with the majority of people today. No matter the abundance of evidence, how persuasive the argument, how clear the presentation, they will not recognize the truth because they have become decidedly callous to it. That's the sad state of the world, friends. But that does not have to be you. No, if you commit to following Jesus, you will be given the divine ability to perceive these spiritual realities told in story. That's what we're told in verse 16. That while others stumble around, blinded to the truth, your eyes will be blessed because they will see and your ears because they will hear. That's the hope. That as we press closer and closer, his teaching becomes clearer and clearer, leaving us with no doubt as to what Jesus is teaching in this or any subsequent parable. Now, perhaps because this was the first of its kind shared with his disciples, Jesus goes a bit farther than he otherwise might, explaining the parable of the sower and the soils with his own interpretive key. First, he makes mention of a sower. And though no details about him are given in the explanation itself, it stands to reason that the sower is none other than Christ himself. After all, is it not true that at the time he was speaking, Jesus was the only true minister of the gospel? He was the only one continually spreading the truth of salvation. That he was the only one proclaiming the kingdom of God on earth. But Jesus is most certainly the sower. And what he dispenses is the seed. Which, as Christ tells us in verse 19, is the word of the kingdom. Now, if we understand those two basic elements, then we might read verses 3 and 4 like this. Behold, Jesus went out to preach, and as he was preaching, the word was broadcast, distributed, sent out to various places. It's interesting to note, despite the importance of both of those two, that they are not the focus for Jesus here. In fact, the story moves on rather quickly from them because neither of them will ever change. No, the sower and the seed are the fixed quantities, the constants in the equation if you will. The variable here 
is the condition of the soil. That's the key underlying truth of this parable. And yet, many of our modern-day evangelists have failed to appreciate or apply it. Now, in order to cultivate a greater number of responses, we attempt to be a more attractive, more humorous, more relevant sower than Jesus and cast a more palatable, more tolerant, more up-to-date kind of seed. We don't like to think of our soil as the obstacle, so we want to change everything else. Yet the problem of rejection has never been with the seed nor with the sower. Now, as one theologian put it, the problem of rejection lies only in the soil. That is the human heart. And so this morning, as we consider this teaching to the crowds and clarification to the disciples, we recognize four different heart responses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, we must recognize that the soil of many hearts is hardened. Well, take a look back at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Now, in the days where there was more pedestrian traffic, the sides of the road were well-worn, packed down by those who were walking along them. And so any seed scattered in such a place was bound to just lay atop the surface to no avail. Jesus tells us that when the soil is hardened to that extent, the birds will come immediately and take away all the seed, well, just as quickly as it was scattered. Now, you remember, the key to this kind of teaching is the nature of the comparison that is being made. Here, hard-packed soil is used to illustrate the hard-packed heart. And the birds of the air are given to teach us about the sinister work of Satan. Now, of course, we recognize that the hearts of many are hardened to the gospel. If you have never run across someone who is averse to those things of Christ, you're not engaging in enough spiritual conversation because that will be your prevailing experience. Because most in this world are altogether resistant and unresponsive to God's message of salvation. We know that. And yet we do not always fully appreciate why that is the case. Well, it's because the vast majority of Christians today are overly dismissive of our battle against evil. I mean, except for those few who see Satan under every rock and around every corner, most of the church never gives his influence a second thought. But folks, the prince of the power of the air is behind every hardened heart and every Rejected invitation. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our gospel is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now this does not absolve any of us from our own personal responsibility, but we need to understand there is a war that is raging for the possession of our hearts to give in to this darkness is to become veiled, blinded, hardened, such that the word of God will never have the opportunity to sink in. That's where most of the world's 8 billion people find themselves. Unable to receive the gospel or even to entertain it for a time in their heart. So as soon as the preacher begins, as soon as your testimony starts, as soon as the word of God is opened, they say, no thank you, it's not for me. Go take your useless talk of Jesus somewhere else. It's a woeful state. There is no doubt. But that's the sad reality of our world. That oftentimes the word of God falls on hardened hearts amongst the most resistant and unresponsive of people. And no matter how many times those people hear it, they are never going to hear. Do you see? Indeed, the soil of many hearts has been hardened, while other hearts prove too shallow. As Jesus says in verse 20, the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, just to be clear, this talk about the rocky place is not the same as that hard pan by the road. No, it's not that the seed is falling directly on the rock, you see, but rather, as Christ described it back in verse 5, in a place where they did not have much soil, at least not much in the way of depth. Oh, but still, the seed sprung up, didn't it? Jesus tells us that in some hearts, the word of God is received with great joy, great enthusiasm, great excitement, great zeal. Like a sapling put in soil one day that stands four foot tall the next. And oh, how that swells us with pride. Look at how people are responding. Look how exuberant they are for the church. Can you believe how eager they are all of a sudden? And look, that's wonderful. And we ought to get excited about people who receive the word with joy, without a doubt. But Jesus makes a point to tell us that there are many who sprout up overnight, who, when affliction and persecution arise, will just as quickly fall away because they never developed firm enough roots 
to survive the adversity. George Whitefield, the passionate and powerful preacher of the first great awakening in this country, used to preach to massive crowds numbering in the thousands. People were greatly affected by his evangelistic messages in ways that had never been seen before in all of the world. Yet when Whitefield was asked how many people were saved at his revival meetings, he shook his head and said, we will only be able to tell that in the years or even decades that follow. We have such a need for instant gratification and immediate results. We hardly wait until the message is over because we're boasting about our converts as though we've never once read about the seed on the rocky places. Several years ago, I took a group to a youth rally. It was held over a weekend, Friday and Saturday night. And sure enough, my inbox Monday morning, I get an email that said this. The event was so successful, we saw 300 teenagers get saved. That's not true. It's not true at all. And the Christian community ought to know better. Even if those were the numbers, we surely did not see 300 teenagers get saved. What we saw were 300 teenagers that offered a response of some type to the evening message. That's it. What that is exactly, where that goes, or what their commitment looks like 10 years from now, well, that remains very much to be determined. Because unless there is depth to their relationship with the Lord, unless they are in a place where they can develop strong roots unless they have time to firm up their faith. The difficulties of this life will see it wither. That's why we can never abandon our God-given mandate to disciple people unto maturity. We cannot abandon that mission just to add a few more temporary converts to the mix. I understand how tempting that can be. Believe me. I understand how tempting that might be when you see other churches growing their numbers and adding more seats. But if the deeper things of Christ are never taught and roots are never fully established, and we could do that, but all we'd be left with is a sanctuary full of people who are convinced of heaven but destined for hell. The famous author Michael Novak fears the same. He says, easy faith, cheap grace, and shallow piety may be the undoing of spiritual revival in our generation, leaving us with so-called evangelicals whose growth is so superficial they will wither and die long before reaching maturity in the Lord. Are you there? Surely there are hearts that are hardened, hearts that are shallow, 
And there are, as we see in verse 22, hearts that are divided. As Jesus describes them, they are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. Well, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, here's the sower casting the seed about. Some of it lands on hard soil, some on shallow soil, some on soil that has given rise to other things that will stunt the plant's growth and eventually see it die altogether. Well, what are those things, you ask? Well, by way of parable, they are the thorns, which Christ uses to represent an infatuation with the world, the pursuit of riches, and according to Mark's retelling of the, ver- of the account, the desire for objects that would feed the pleasures of the flesh. So despite the fact that the word was heard and temporarily received, the trappings of this world supplant the affection for Christ in one's heart and prove that their faith was only fleeting. As one theologian suggested, Theirs is a partial commitment. But that is, in reality, no commitment at all. Most of us know that struggle full well. Because we like the thought of following 12 things with our whole heart. But you can't follow 12 things with your whole heart. That's not how it works. How many things can you love most? I hear all the time, million and one different reasons why we can't come to this, why I can't study that, why this is way too much to put in my schedule. All I want to ask is how many things can you love most? The answer, by very definition, is just one. And if you claim that that one thing is the Lord Jesus Christ, just be aware, he will not share your affection with any other. Now, if you are insistent on living with one foot in the church and the other in the world, your faith is sure to be choked out and destroyed long before it bears any fruit. I mean, those of you who garden on occasion would likely understand that. In order to make the ground fertile and yield a bumper crop, you must not only put in the seeds, you must pull out the weeds. And growing in the gospel is no different. Love the word. Cherish the word. Devote yourself to the world. And at the very same time, be rid of the affections for this world. Do not love the world nor the things in the world, John writes in his first epistle. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I mean, that rules out the existence of what some refer to as a carnal Christian. You know, one who has been redeemed by Christ, born again, justified and transformed, but is attached to the world in a way that renders their affiliation with Jesus unrecognizable. We have deluded ourselves into thinking that such a person could actually exist. No, if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. Period. If your heart is divided, your faith withers and dies. Period. If you have heard the word, made a commitment at some point to receive it, yet continue to consume yourself with these lesser things, you are in much greater danger than you realize. For some, it's the everyday concerns of life that choke you out. For others, it's the pursuit of popularity, intellect, prestige, or wealth. Turns out the money is the only thorn that is called out by name here because it has deceived and divided more hearts than most. That's why Jesus says in reference to mammon in particular that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and fame. You cannot serve God and any other master. Yeah? As illustrated by this parable of the sower and the soils, there are hearts that are hard, hearts that are shallow, hearts that are divided. To the point where none of the seed that is planted can actually be productive. Oh, but thankfully there is a soil in which the gospel grows. In a heart that is fruitful. Take a look back at verse 23. Jesus says, The one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. There's no doubt that the variable here is the soil, the condition of the human heart. Most hearts are not conducive to seeing the gospel flourish, as we've just discussed. But there is good soil that will produce a great harvest. Unlike the others, the fruitful soil is soft, cultivated, prepared, and ready to receive the word of God. The fruitful soil is deep, allowing for the development of a strong root system so it can stand through the storms of life. The fruitful soil is singularly focused, forsaking all other pursuits to grow just this one. And as Jesus mentions in verse 23, the fruitful soil bears much fruit. Though many in the church today are content for their people to just raise their hand, walk the aisle, or pray a prayer, fruit-bearing 
is the real mark of the believer and always has been. In fact, Scripture tells us that all who genuinely follow Christ will produce fruit in keeping with repentance, the fruit of righteousness, and the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we are so resistant to this idea that we reject this notion of fruit-bearing as though it's a works-based theology. But it's not. It's the right biblical understanding that those who are truly saved will give evidence of their new life in Christ through the fruit of their obedience. It's a certainty for those who are actually redeemed. So why do we act as though it were optional? Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this, verse 8, that you bear much fruit. And by bearing much fruit, that you prove to be my disciples. The bearing is not how you get saved. It's the proof that you actually have been. And if that's not happening, then either the seed was snatched away, it withered, or it's being choked out. That cannot be your testimony. It's not enough to receive the word in a moment, then walk away from it. It's not enough to receive the word And give your affections out to a thousand other things. Now, in order to walk in a manner worthy of the God who called you, you must receive the word of God which you have heard. Accept it, understand it, and allow it to perform its work in you as a believer. And what a work it will be sure to flourish beyond anything that you could think or imagine all the way through to eternity. Multiplying your efforts 30, 60, 100 fold to the glory of God. Yeah? In this parable and in life, There are hearts that are hardened, hearts that are shallow, hearts that are divided, and hearts that are fruitful. The question is, which one are you? Are you rejecting the message of the kingdom without giving it a second thought? Did you make a decision years ago, but it has no real meaning in your life today? Is Christ being crowded out by the pursuit of other affections that you are chasing after in this life? If so, I urge you by the mercies of God, soften your hearts toward Jesus. 
receive the gospel seed and bear the fruit of his kingdom. Huh? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that you and your Son are the constants. We know that your word does not change, nor will it ever. Lord, we know that still, that does not mean everyone receives your truth as they should. So Lord, I'm sorry for those times when I have pushed aside those spiritual pursuits for lesser things. Sorry for the times I've chased after. I'm sorry for the times I've allowed those thorns of the world to overwhelm me and overcome. Lord, I pray that you would find in me good soil. Lord, that with this help and power of your spirit, you would help me to remove those obstacles that get in the way. Lord, that I would bear fruit for you and your kingdom. I pray that for everyone in this room that that would characterize our lives, our families, our church. Lord, as this fall season begins, you know there are a million and one other things we could be doing. Things that vie for our attention in the most overt and subtle ways, both. Lord, I pray that you would help us to discern rightly, to prioritize properly. Lord, that we might bring forth a produce for you. Because that's what it's about. Lord, it's about giving you all the honor and all the glory that you are due. So we want to multiply for you. We want to be disciples that grow your word in your kingdom 30, 60, 100 times, whatever you want to do. Help us to play our part, to commit to you wholeheartedly and bear the fruit that proves that we are your people. Do it and do it now, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org. 